You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to FDNY Pro's WNYF Podcast. I am your host, Lieutenant John Paul Orger, and today we are sitting down with Battalion Chief Joseph Lacelli. Chief Lacelli has served the FDNY for more than 17 years, and this is his second article with WNYF. So you and Deputy Chief Michael McPartland co-authored an article about the Chelsea bombing, which occurred back on September 17th of 2016, where you discuss command and control, correct? Correct. So before we, we get into all of that, let's first talk about you and that day in particular. Begin with reporting it to work, what time of day it was, the type of weather, how you were feeling. Going into work that day, I was working in Battalion 7, which is uh, in the Chelsea area of Manhattan on 19th Street. And I was driving into work, and I was listening to the radio, just trying to get a, a gauge on the traffic driving in. They started mentioning about there was a, uh, a bombing that had happened over in New Jersey during a uh, charity run for the Marines. I didn't really think too much about it. I know they said there weren't any injuries or anything, but it did, it did stick in my mind. When you work in Manhattan, there's always a chance that, that something could, crazy could happen. And the person, they didn't catch the person. So it wasn't like I was thinking something bad was going to happen that night, but it was, it was in my mind. Okay, so getting into work, about what time? Uh, I got into work about 5 o'clock. The weather was clear. It was a regular day. It was towards, uh, it was in the middle to end of uh, September, the 17th. So it was uh, a nice day. How long before the alarm came in? It was kind of quiet up until that point, and then we were getting ready to sit down to have dinner. Heard a loud, it sounded to me like a really extremely loud thunder. So I remember saying to somebody, I said, wow, it's, you know, I, said, I think it was supposed to rain. And one of the guys was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that was thunder. And then about 30 seconds later, we got the ticket. It just stated there was an unknown explosion. So we weren't really sure initially what we were responding to. We're on 19th Street between 6th and 7th, and the, uh, the bombing took place on 23rd Street between 6th and 7th. So it was only four blocks away, which is fairly close in Manhattan. The way it unfolded, I asked for additional information from the dispatcher. I always ask for anything additional on any phone alarm, especially something like that. And we thought we were going to maybe they've had in the past in, in that area, in fact, uh, major gas explosions. Could be a transformer, manhole. When we were coming up the block with the time of the day, it was dusk. It was the 17th of September, so, you know, the sun was kind of going down a little bit. The firehouse is very close to 7th Avenue. So we proceeded up 7th Avenue against traffic. We knew it was something major. And uh, when we made the right onto 23rd Street, so that you could see down the street, it was... It was kind of weird. There was no cars on the street except for one in front of where the, the location of uh, where they were saying that the explosion was. And uh, it was just like a little haze in the air. I exited the vehicle probably a couple hundred feet before where they decided the explosion was. I've never been to a bombing before, so to me, uh, it wasn't, like I said, I still had this stuff in the back of my mind from Jersey, what had happened there, but it wasn't still what I thought uh, was a bombing. We were trying to figure out what we had. And um, it took a little while for us to actually realize that it was a bomb and it wasn't just some type of emergency. So describe the scene for me a little bit. What did you have in the street, the building type of construction? Okay. Take a step back. On the response ticket that we got, it just stated there was an unknown explosion. And on the tickets that we get, it gives us information about the building. The location was 135 West 23rd Street. That's where most of the callers were coming from. That building is a home for blind and uh, disabled people. It's a 12-story fireproof building. What had happened is they were doing asbestos abatement in the building. 
So they had dumpsters, 20 or 30 dumpsters outside in front of the building. They had scaffold up on the outside of the building. So the whole building was kind of obscured when we got there. So it made it a little difficult to, to try to figure out what we had. There was debris in the street, definitely, strewn out a few hundred feet in each direction from the, where the Lacroix location came from. But other than that, the best way I could describe it is, you know, the Boston bombing, everybody knew it was a bomb. This one, it was very difficult uh, initially for us to figure out what it is that we had. PD was already on the scene. EMS was on the scene. Most of the victims had self-evacuated off the street. There were a few injured people. EMS already had a triage set up on 6th Avenue when we got there. EMS advised us later on in the operation that we had uh, 31 total patients, uh, minor injuries, blast two injuries, that was what they uh, technically call it, which would be from uh, glass, shrapnel from the uh, pressure cooker, uh, and any of the materials that were inside the pressure cooker device itself. There was a car in front of the building, the windows were blown out of the car, the airbag was deployed, the driver of the car was outside the car kind of wandering around, definitely in a daze. But there weren't a lot of victims, nobody was running up to us with any types of injuries, nothing like that they had in Boston anyway. The scaffolding went all the way up to the 12th floor. It was from one end of the building to the other, it's 100 feet wide, 200 feet deep. Most of the people that were in that building, they were in their rooms or they were in the lobby. So. We tried to just get them to go back up into their rooms rather than coming out onto the street without even knowing what we had. We knew it was an explosion. We definitely knew something had happened. You could tell by just looking in the street what we had. Like I said, there was a slight haze in the air. It made it more difficult because it wasn't blatantly obvious. And there were people coming up to me telling me that they heard an explosion. Uh, initially, they said it might have been from a garbage pail, but there were all those dumpsters in front of the building. And uh, they were lined up in the street, two rows of them. and. They said that there might have been one either in the dumpster or outside the dumpster, something that was in there. So we were thinking maybe it was something that somebody had thrown into the dumpster that caused this to happen. Just to get a clear picture on what you're talking about, these are relatively small dumpsters. Yeah, they're right? half-yard like, dumpsters. Yeah. What they would do is they use them to transport debris from inside the building out. It wouldn't be like one of those gigantic dumpsters where you're just dumping everything into it. So at this point, you are the incident commander? I was. Give me some personal perspective there. I mean, okay, how so are you feeling? I'm feeling uh, worried. <laughs> I was feeling worried because I knew that there was an explosion. It didn't, in my mind at that point, it didn't really matter what the explosion was. I knew something exploded. We were just trying to track down and try to narrow it down to what it was. The officers had uh, meters to detect the radiation, carbon monoxide, different types of things, hazmat materials. None of the meters were activated, so it didn't really help us to narrow down what it was, but there were no transformer vaults that had exploded. There was obviously not a gas explosion, and it was nothing along those lines. So it was a little troubling in that we weren't really sure what we had. But what I did is I had the initial units, it was Ladder 12, it was the first unit on the scene, and they went to the building that, was, that they felt was the most exposed. There was... 135 West 23rd Street was the 12-story fireproof home for the uh, blind and disabled. Next to it, what we would consider the exposure four side, which would be the right-hand side if you're looking at the building, was a five-story bed and breakfast in old uh, brownstone. There was more damage to that building than it was to 135, so Ladder 12's officer decided to go in and uh, just check out that building. So Ladder 12 was in there. Ladder 24 went into 135 West 23rd Street, and then Ladder 7 came in as a uh, sock support truck, which would be in case there was any structural damage collapse to the building. But since that wasn't going on, I used them to uh, address a call that we had had from the fourth floor that the people were trapped. So you just mentioned that you metered uh, when you were on scene. Tell me a little bit more about uh, metering and 
The meters that we carry, if we go to an explosion, any type of explosion, we have meters that could pick up uh, radiation, we have meters that pick up natural gas, meters that pick up carbon monoxide. So the units on the scene when they first got there, they weren't getting positive hits on their meters for any of that. Later on, that became very important because once we realized that there was a bomb, we wanted to make sure it wasn't a dirty bomb. We wanted to make sure it wasn't anything radioactive and just wanted to make sure that also with, from the explosion, it wasn't anything compromised as far as natural gas lines. As the operation was progressing, we still continued to monitor. Squad, they did a good job of continuing to monitor the blocks till Hazmat came in. They kept giving me reports about what they had, different areas, different parts of the block. Another thing that they did is they kept checking. They, initially, they checked under the cars. There were a bunch of cars lined on both sides of the street, and I uh, just wanted to make sure there were no victims, they weren't overlooking anybody. But the metering was a very important part of it, just to make sure that we weren't exposing ourselves to something more than just what, what we thought that we had. So at what point does a malicious act start to creep into your mind? When I'm standing in front of the building, we weren't directly in front of the building, we kind of off-centered with, that's where the initial command post was. As soon as I knew it was an explosion, I just made sure I put over the handy talkie over the department radio that I didn't want any other units besides the initial units that were on the scene, of which there was uh, engine one, ladder 12, and ladder 24 basically were on the block. I want everybody else to stay off of 23rd Street and just stage at the avenues, 6th and 7th avenues. And I just felt if there was another explosion, whatever the cause of it, I didn't want to expose many more members than what we had. We tried to use the minimum amount of members to do a, a quick, rapid search and also get a report on the structural integrity of the buildings. So while I'm standing in the street, and uh, there was a police sergeant came running up to me, and he says, uh, did, did you hear? There might be a, a bomb. And I said, I just got here. So I didn't, I don't, we haven't picked that up yet. We weren't really sure what we had. And so that started creeping into my mind. They seemed to have a little bit more information. They had two cops already on the scene for some other call. So they were on the scene when the bomb went off. So they had more of an idea of, uh, of what was happening. A short time after, there was a police officer that told me that he recognized the odor that was in the street at that point that was from explosive material. So that definitely put us in the direction that, uh, that we had a bomb. There's no obvious transformer, gas, manhole. So that's what we started going with. Then more information started feeding in from PD again. Somebody had said that somebody had placed something either in or under one of the construction dumpsters that were outside the building. So that pretty much set it off in that direction. So scene safety is a concern, and you're trying to limit the exposure for your members. So you have them out in staging areas. What type of response are you expecting uh, in terms of numbers? When I asked for additional information when, when we were responding, I was told due to the numerous calls and the number of injuries, they said there were many injuries, that we were getting a major response, which initially they gave us three engines, two trucks, and myself as the battalion. I guess due to the numerous reports of an explosion, it was verified in their mind that uh, dispatchers wanted to give us uh, a full assortment of whatever we needed, whether it be a collapse, uh, EMS units, um, PD. So uh, we had a lot of units coming in. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew not to come onto the block and just in case something else had happened. The other thing I wanted to do was make sure that nobody was in front of any of these dumpsters again in case something else went off. Because it was very, like I said, it was kind of dusk. It was very difficult to tell what we even had going on and yeah, anywhere near the dumpsters. So. Sounds like you're mentioning the possibility of a secondary device. 
once we realized that that's where we were leaning towards, that this was probably an IED that somebody had put there, then obviously the, the next step is going to be there's going to be a secondary device. There usually is. You have to plan for it. In New Jersey, there was, right? So in New my, Jersey, meaning earlier in the, the day? The earlier bombing. Still, you start putting the pieces together, and you know, initially when we got there, we weren't sure it was a bomb. Then we we're pretty sure it was a bomb, and then you start thinking, okay, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that this person that had set these IEDs off in New Jersey was still on the loose, and now all of a sudden we've got something going on here. There's a good chance there's going to be another another device somewhere close by. My main focal point of the whole operation was make sure that our members were safe, and at the same time, we need to do a quick and rapid assessment of the buildings. I was concerned too, there was a lot of broken glass on the first two or three floors on both sides of the street. So I just wanted to be sure that there wasn't anybody in the lobby, you know, that was had any type of uh, injuries that we wanted to get them out. We didn't want to leave them in there, we wanted to do a quick search. You have to go in, you have to take a look, and you have to be sure that everybody's safe. The blind and the disabled people, we wanted to make sure that we got them out of the lobbies, back up into their rooms. There was minimal structural damage to the building, so I wasn't worried about a collapse. So I just Rather than putting all these people, hundreds of people on the street, it was safer and better to keep them in their apartments. So you have a much greater complement of resources now responding in. And from a command and control standpoint, I would imagine now you're going to get some more help there too. Right. So what winds up happening is once I realize that we have a uh, confirmed bombing, I transmit an outpost which would be a 1060, which is a major explosion. You get a tremendous amount of units coming in and a tremendous amount of firefighters. So just wanted to be sure, once again, that we kept everybody from coming in to the area right in front of the building. We wanted to have the resources set up in case we needed them. In my mind, I'm thinking if there's a secondary device, you know, what we have on scene isn't going to be enough to handle if the next bomb is a bigger bomb that maybe does do some type of structural damage. So we had the units coming in, and the biggest problem was just really trying to control where everybody went. All of the units that responded in, they understood what was going on. They wanted to help, but they knew to stay off the block. So we really didn't have a big problem with that. The street really only had the initial units on it at that point. When I go into work as part of my, say, size up for the tour, I always like to see what chiefs are working in the surrounding area to me, and also who the deputy chief is gonna be, who would be my, who I would be reporting to in any type of emergency or fire. And I knew Deputy Chief Mike McPartland was working at night. He's had some major, major emergencies and fires. He had a big church fire in Manhattan not that long ago. He had a major gas explosion. So he, I guess he's like an old pro at this, right? So he came in, he had a plan set up. He was listening to the radio in the division's quarters. He, on the way, was already setting up three different staging areas for the units coming in. He knew that I gave the 1060. He knew that we had a lot of units coming in, and he wanted to be sure that the staging areas was set up so that everybody knew depending on what direction they were coming from, where they would be staged. So that was really important because, you know, like I said, you're thinking secondary device, you're thinking I got all these extra units coming in, and you don't want to be pulling everybody into an area where you could have a, a secondary explosion. So he did a great job just keeping everybody back and making sure everybody knew where to go. So what you were just describing there, you know, as first responders, we refer to it as building situational awareness, right? Getting a high level of situational awareness for any operation. Clearly, there's a place for that at all of our operations. Of course, yeah. So in terms of situational awareness, you do mention it in your article. Um, what was that like for you in terms of building that level of awareness and maintaining it? And how did it benefit your operation? Well, the situational awareness to me, I, it started off when we were responding. 
you know, when I got on the radio and I, I tried to get additional information as to what we were responding to, all the other units are responding in also. So they were also listening, trying to get a grasp of what we have. And uh, I think that was important that everybody realized that, okay, you know, this isn't going to be just another regular call. You know, we do have something. We do have numerous people injured. We weren't sure what type of structural damage there was. Everybody wants to come in and help, but I think all the units did a great job of situational awareness for themselves and knowing that you had some type of explosion. We really don't need to be running into this block to try to help. We can stage outside the block and then figure out what's needed. So I thought that was really important. That was probably one of the best things that happened and when Chief McPartland set up the staging areas, everybody needs a place to go. As long as you tell people where to go, they'll go and they'll listen. And clearly it sounds like Chief McPartland did just that, right? He built a pretty high level of situational awareness before he even started on the road. Right. He was just responding. He already knew in his mind he had a, a great game plan as to uh, the what to do. Everybody has a piece to the puzzle, and uh, part of the, the name of the article is command and control. And command and control, from our aspect, is taking what I've done, and I, I try to tell people, I said I tried to wrap it up into a little ball and hand it off to him. You know, I did my part and then he's going to do his part. I'm looking at the, the smaller picture, you know, try to get the bigger picture, but his job is the real big picture. You know, what are we going to do with all these units? Where are we putting them? What are we going to need? When Chief McPartland got to the scene, he informed him as to what we had, number of injuries, what was going on with the building, where EMS was staged, and uh, Chief McPartland set up a staging area on 7th Avenue and 23rd Street. While he was responding in, uh, what wound up happening is uh, PD, we kind of, we're supposed to be a unified command, so it would be really us, PD, and EMS. EMS's staging area was up on 6th Avenue, so they had a, a few ambulances up that way. A lot of people self-evacuated, took themselves to hospitals themselves and cabs, which from what I, my understanding is pretty much what happens in most situations like this. If they're not severely injured, they, they're going to want to get checked out, but they're not going to always go into an ambulance. So EMS was on 6th Avenue, PD's incident commander made contact with me at our command post. And as part of our unified command, he was requesting that we had only a few actual apparatus on the street. He wanted us to take those off the street, put them on the avenues, and also to have uh, all the firefighters, once we were done with our operation, which was the searches, which we had pretty much completed. He wanted us all off the blocks, off 23rd Street, on the avenues. They wanted to use their bomb dogs to basically clear that whole area where, where the dumpsters were and up and down uh, 23rd Street from 6th to 7th Avenues. Now, of course, at the same time, we're taking the members that were operating and putting them on the avenues. Those areas had to also be searched for potential bombs, secondary devices, which they wound up finding um, sometime later, about four blocks away. It was about four blocks away. There was on 27th I, I Street. I believe a few hours later, yeah. right? Yeah. There will wind up happening was um, uh, a civilian had called it in. It's a pressure cooker sitting in the street, just had a bomb down the street. So a woman called it in, and um, I think there was actually state troopers that were there, and uh, she notified them. What we did is we had two engines, one truck, and a battalion chief respond up to 27th Street, used all the safety, uh, distance, and shielding. We didn't want to get close, but in case there was anything where there was a small fire or anything like that, we wanted to have units on the scene to assist PD. So the FDNY evolves as the world evolves in order to keep the public safe. With the new and emerging threats that come along, which Every seems day. almost like daily now, <laughs> that has an impact on our operations. From a personal 
perspective, how has that changed the way you operate as both a firefighter at heart, right, but also now having the added responsibility of being the incident commander, being the one responsible for command and control? Any of the training I've ever received, and um, basically when you have a situation like this, you just fall back on your training, you really do. I know it's a cliche, but you really do. Some of the decisions that I made weren't things uh, that I thought of at that moment. They had been things that I had thought about for a while, in case I've worked in Manhattan most of my career, and we're always really on guard for, for these types of situations. Thank God they don't happen very often. As a firefighter, you want to be more aggressive. As an incident commander, we have to balance this out. Initially, it was worth us to take what you would consider a risk of having us go towards where the area of the explosion was. We needed to see if there were any victims. That was the main thing, and we needed to see what type of structural damage we had. As an incident commander, I wanted to get everybody out as soon as I could. Honestly, it's, it's an awkward situation you're in where you need to get information, you need to balance out assisting the civilians that need help, but also making sure that the members that you started the tour with all get to go home safely. So at the end of each podcast, I like to give my guests an opportunity to share something that they find relevant or important. Is there anything that you'd like to pass on to our listeners or the first responder community? I would say this much. I'd say uh, at, at this event, I thought that things... We have a unified command, which pretty much everybody follows now. I thought things went fairly well as far as uh, information that uh, the police department was giving me. I would say on a, a personal level, everybody has their own job to do. They had a job. I had a job. It's easy to say that you have to stand next to each other and exchange information. That had happened afterwards when uh, some of the higher-level chiefs came on the scene and the command post was actually changed over to 7th Avenue where EMS was and, and PD. Um, but I would say that it, to get as much information as possible from the other jurisdictions that are on the scene, to me, it was very helpful. And um, the safety of the members is the most important thing. So if you're really not sure what you have, what you're getting involved in, just minimize the amount of members that you need to do the task. Make sure everybody knows and understands and acknowledges that you don't want them any closer than whatever you think that the standoff distances should be. That worked out very well in this situation. And... Um, I would just say that in this situation, I thought everybody did a great job. Hopefully, uh, we never have to deal with this again, but I'm sure at some point we'll be all working together. Sim similar situation. Joe, it was great having you in the studio today. It was good seeing you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, John. It's my pleasure. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org 
and help New York's bravest save a life today.